Welcome into 20th and Blake here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. I am your host, Drew Creaseman. As always, I am very excited to be talking Colorado Rockies baseball with you. I am still stuck down in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Should be the very last time. Uh, so you're hearing my voice in this weird sound setup. I get back to Denver very, very soon in time for opening day. And all of that. I figured on this episode, I would take a step back and do an introductory conversation for anybody who might be new or a refresher conversation and kind of an update conversation as we go into a new season for the biggest element of the team that always needs to be understood, but is often not. Yes, that's right. We're doing this here and now. It's been in the news a little bit again lately. Uh, nationally, and we are talking about the Coors Field effect and or the Coors Field hangover effect, even that in and of itself needs to be broken down a little bit. So warning, this is going to be basically just an introduction. You know, I'm going to get into some of the details on some of these things, but we can only go so deep because there's a lot of moving pieces. There's a lot to understand about what the Coors Field effect or hangover effect are. And so, yeah, we're going to have to have plenty of follow-up conversations, but I thought it would be good. And, and I'll apologize for anyone who's really well educated in this stuff. A lot of it's going to be repeat information for you, but it, it's really important that we have a steady baseline and we do update the conversation to look at guys like Chris Bryant and how they're going to fit into this whole thing, which is going to be really, really interesting, right? So let's begin where we have to, <laughs> taking me back to my old high school speech and debate days, any kind of law or politics, let's define our terms. And we have to begin with what is the Coors Field effect? Now, that depends on who you're talking to. This has, of course, part of the problem with the modern language and social media and all of these things is that a lot of times people will use phrases and mean something different by it. A lot of times when you hear a national writer refer, refer to the Coors Field effect, what they're talking about is basically the way ball games can get a bit bananas at Coors. This happens for a number of reasons. Yes, it is true that the ball does fly a little bit farther at altitude. That's a real thing. Again, something that one day hopefully I can have like an actual scientist who's a baseball fan sit down and walk us through air resistance and launch and loft and all of these kinds of things, right? But it, it is true, though there's some debate about exactly how much it's evident the ball flies farther at Coors Field. Now, it is also true that that's not probably anymore since the humidor, the biggest reason for the huge offensive numbers that we see at Coors. So in other words, in 2003-04, but between those seasons, right, the Rockies put in what we all know now is the humidor so that the baseballs are stored in an environment so that they basically don't get rock hard, dry out, and fly even further. So it wasn't just about the air resistance and the thin air of Colorado back then. It was also that the baseballs would get really dry in our air, and they would fly extra far for that reason. Since then, the Rockies are still usually in the top 10 for number of home runs given up at their ballpark, oftentimes even in the top three, but they've rarely actually led baseball. It's more likely that you'll see teams like Cincinnati, uh, which the, the guys call Great American Small Park, 
right? There's more home runs hit in other places now. However, Coors Field is still the most offensive environment in all of baseball every year, usually fairly comfortably, because on top of the thin air that does still exist, and, and you might get a few balls that would fly out there that wouldn't in other places. So there's plenty of balls that would go out in other places that don't at Coors, and that's something that I, you know, I'll get back to later. But you've also got the enormous outfield. The Rockies have either the first or second largest. Uh, I've been having a hard time finding that specific information, and it's kind of weird that they, they don't measure exactly right. But either way, the Rockies have one of easily one of the biggest outfields in baseball, and that allows for a lot of cheap hits. There's also very little foul territory at Coors Field, which means less opportunity for outs to be made on foul balls. So essentially, the whole thing is built for hits to fall in the outfield and for the ball to fly. It's a pitcher's nightmare, right? Then on top of that, if that wasn't enough of all the things that the pitcher has to deal with, there's the fact that his pitches are not going to move the same at Coors Field as they do out on the road. So, you know, where a curveball or a slider might have a little extra dip or dive or duck or dodge for those of you that are into that movie, but it'll have more tilt right at sea level. It's going to have more action on it. It's going to move and behave a little bit differently. And roughly 1000% of the Colorado Rockies pitchers that I've ever talked to about this have agreed that yes, that is the case. And they've all got different ways of going about, you know, handling that where you set your sights and all of that. But the fact of the matter is that there's a lot that goes into why more runs are scored at Coors Field. And so for a lot of people, that's what they know, right? That that gets us to the baseline of, I think, the, the <laughs> this is a weird sentence, I'm going to say, the average hardcore baseball fan, or to put it another way, the hardcore baseball fan who isn't necessarily a Rockies fan, and they just kind of know generally what happens out here. That's what they know. Thin air. Big outfield, tough to pitch there. Pitches behave differently at Coors or at altitude than they do at sea level. All right. <clears throat> That's our baseline. Then we get to the Coors field hangover effect, which is a bit of a misnomer, right? Because when it was first introduced and it was first conceived, the idea was that when the Rockies leave altitude, the adjustment is so extreme that in that first series or two on the road, they're going to have depressed offensive numbers. And that theory was really important and ultimately led to a, a more real truth, but it was it was disproven that it's really the first series on the road or the first couple of games on the road. It's all of the games on the road throughout their entire history. The Colorado Rockies offensive numbers, whether you're looking at the most advanced metrics that are out there, things like WRC plus and OPS plus, whether you're looking at just OPS and batting average and on base percentage, slugging home runs, hit pick a category on the road. The Rockies have Every single year of their existence been near or at the very bottom of the pack. And of course, we all know that the splits are always a thing, right? And so it has always been the case that Rockies players get 
not, you, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, look at their splits. They're really not that great because they're only great at Coors Field. And then they leave here and that thing goes away. It happened to Dexter Fowler. It happened to Chris Iannetta. It happened in a big, largely obnoxious way with DJ LeMahieu. Um, and so it is basically a proven fact at this point that the Rockies play offensively at a massive disadvantage when they're on the road. The question is, why exactly and what is to be done about it? And if, and if you're still on the fence about whether or not that's even true, the only other conclusion to draw from all of the data, and again, if we want to dive deeper into this point in the future, I can have an expert on. In fact, I can have a good friend on who discovered a lot of this stuff and, and has really blown it up into the national discourse in a lot of ways. Matt Gross, great guy, great baseball guy. I don't know. Uh, it's been a while since I've had him on a show or something, but he, if not willing to to come on, I don't know if he does that anymore. I'm sure he'd at least be willing to shoot me a few sentences about the concept. And basically the idea is either the Rockies have never had a good offensive team, ever. I mean, this goes back to when it was Galarraga, Burks, Bichette, Walker, you know, EY, throw him in there, <laughs> Joe Girardi. But, you know, the 09 lineup that had Cargo, Tulo, Helton, you know, these lineups, either none of them were legitimate or something happens to pretty much every Rockies player when they go on the road. So what are the primary theories there? Well, we can go back to the, the pitch moving differently, right? The ball, if, if you're getting, again, I was talking about the pitchers. So if when the Rockies go on the road, all of a sudden sliders are moving two or three more inches, curveballs are moving two or three more inches. They'll even talk about fastballs having more or less zip or late movement at altitude and for a long time, people thought it was just breaking pitches, but more data has shown that actually fastballs are one of the most difficult things to readjust to uh, from altitude to sea level. But either way, there's definitely that element, right? And again, I've talked to Charlie Blackman, DJ LeMahieu, Nolan Arenado, Trevor Story, Carlos Gonzalez, most recently CJ Crone about all of this. And they've all got varying experiences with it, but none deny that it's real. The ball moves differently on the road and you have to prepare differently. And that means different things for different guys. There's also a huge physical component to this. I just wrote about it with Austin Gomber. I've written about it before, again, with Charlie Blackman, who really put me onto this stuff, and Chad Bettis, who really put me onto this stuff about how as much as it's a huge adjustment to change your sights as a pitcher or your timing as a hitter or just your sight lines, whatever it is, all of those things are real. But maybe the most difficult thing is recovery, physical recovery, getting enough sleep, getting enough to eat. Anyone out there who's been an athlete, or if you're listening to this, you're an amateur athlete of any kind, maybe you're a professional athlete of some kind, you know that the altitude thing is real. Athletes train at altitude for a reason, but in order to get the full effects of training at altitude, you essentially need to be there for, I don't, I can't remember the exact, I think it's 14 days. Someone out there will know, you can correct me on this, but it's a couple of weeks and then you need to be away 
for a couple of weeks. The problem with the Rockies is that it's never enough time to get acclimated to either of those environments. And so your body as a Rockies player goes through absolute hell. It's part of the reason why Charlie Blackman's legs declined as fast as they did. So much wear and tear at altitude, especially playing center field. And that over the course of a season, but, you know, in, in a game, if you don't have your legs, so that, you know, a lot of your hitting, especially your power, comes from your legs. And so the ball's moving differently on you. Uh, the, the physical element of rarely being able to feel at your best, which is something that, that's true of all ball players. It's just worse for the Rockies and something they need to be even more aware of and more diligent uh, about getting after. But... The other thing, of course, is that in the NL West, the Rockies go to extreme opposite environments, unless they're going to Arizona. When they go to California to play the Padres, the Giants, and the Dodgers, they're not just going to sea level with the like, heaviest air that you can find, like the most polar opposite that you're going to get, right? They're also going to these big pitchers parks that really favor the pitching. And of course, those teams usually have California money that they can spend on pretty good pitching. And so that basically creates this soup of, you know, and I could even get into more things like the amount of travel that the Rockies have to do because of where they're located that a lot of other teams don't. A lot of those East Coast teams, they just go up and down the Eastern seaboard and, and play each other for most of the time, you know, a couple hour plane rides at most. The Rockies, every time they get on a plane, they're changing time zones. There, there's a lot of little things that go into it. But that, for me, those are the big ones about why the hangover exists primarily. But it's not a hangover. We can't, we shouldn't call it that because, again, it, the data shows it's not just that first series. Every single road game the Rockies play, their offense is at a disadvantage. And it doesn't mean it, it can't be overcome. And I think there are a lot of interesting theories on this. For a long time, I believed they should get a bunch of these low strikeouts. One of the reasons why I was a big Rymel Tapia guy. And one of the reasons why I think Jose Iglesias is going to be an interesting component to the offense they have this year. Because I think that plays well at Coors for sure. When you can put the ball in play again, take advantage of the big outfield and all of that. But I think when you don't strike out very often and you and you go on the road and stuff's moving around a bit on you, when your game isn't built on power, again, your legs aren't there that day, well, a little soft liner over the shortstop's head will do just fine. You know, try to scrape out some some runs. I also think, again, it's, it's probably just inevitable that the Rockies are never going to be a great road team. They've only been over 500 on the road twice. And... That, again, is more evidence to this point that it's not just the I'm, – I'm sorry. I know a lot of people want to arrive at the conclusion, that, well, it's just because they're terrible. And they've always been terrible. And like, No, it's not. Every other team in baseball has long stretches of time where they've been terrible too, but you get variability. You can be a terrible team and be bad at home and okay on the road. You can be a terrible team and be bad both places, right? It, it, it Your offense could have a great – road season for whatever reason, but it just doesn't factor in because you can't pitch and your bullpen's terrible, right? 
so that the Rockies have literally never had a road offense that could even be described as mediocre tells you that it's not the personnel. It's not that everybody they get is terrible. Something else is going on there. And I think part of, of understanding that is a recognition that it's always going to be there. You're never going to score a ton of runs on the road, which is why I think the team ought to be built around pitching and defense and you know good contact, low strikeout guys. Now, that is not exactly the way the current Rockies are built. Right, the pitching, the starting pitching is there. Uh, the infield defense is there. The outfield defense is questionable, and the offense is really built more around the home run ball, not putting in a play all the time. But that's going to be an interesting theory test for this as well, because that's you know. So, like I said, that was my theory: put, put the ball in play as often as possible, get those types of guys, and maybe that'll normalize your offense a bit. But I think what the Rockies are trying right now is. What if we just get dudes who hit the long ball? And yeah, some of them are going to go into slumps on the road as well. And actually, I've got a piece coming out on milehighsports.com here very soon. In fact, it might be published by the time you're listening to this, where Ryan McMahon basically says, look, you're not going to have everybody going at the same time. And, you know, and, and he didn't say this part, but essentially, especially on this team, people will go into slumps because of this thing. And you get into a funk when you go over 20 and the ball is moving differently and your body feels like hell and all of that. But if there's if everyone one through eight in the lineup and I'm going to have to get used to saying one through nine, though, on this team, what I'm about to say doesn't apply to Iglesias, but one through eight, it does. And it's what McMahon said. If that hitter is capable of going yard that put that puts you on the board right that's the one the great thing about the home run you don't need a rally you don't need two or three guys to contribute to it you hit a home run you have scored two guys hit home runs you've got at least two runs in that ball game the theory being if you pitch well enough you can win on the road if you just hit some dinger dongers We'll see. That's going to be that's going to be fascinating because it's been a long time since the Rockies have had an offense where one through eight, they could go yard on you. Right. It's been a minute since they've had that kind of offensive setup, even when they were good in 17 and 18. The offense was the problem and it had some some holes in it. You know, some Ian Desmond's and as much as I'll defend Gerardo Parra, he wasn't a guy that was going to take you yard in any given at bat. You know, they had young players like. Tapia trying to figure it out, and he's not a home run guy, right? They've always said their catchers have never been. Tony Wolters hit, I think, three home runs his entire career. And so now they're really going to be able to try to test this theory, and I think it's going to be an interesting just like science experiment, <laughs> if nothing else. Uh, and the other one that I mentioned earlier that's going to be an interesting science experiment is Chris Bryant because – I have a big list, and again, this is I can share this data with you all at some point, and if, uh, especially if you want to hop into my Discord channel and just get my DMs, ask me how. Uh, it's real easy. I have a huge, like, data chart, like on uh, Sheets, you know, Google Sheets, of a bunch of different Rockies players who have significant time with other organizations, but the vast majority of them came up as Rockies, right? I mentioned Dexter Fowler and Chris Iannetta. Obviously, you know, you've got Troy Tulowitzki. We're going to now have Nolan Arenado and Trevor Story to add to the DJ LeMayhew data set. 
And there's very clear evidence that those guys maintain, if not become better hitters when they leave, because they no longer have to deal with this thing. And for DJ, it really helped that he went to a ballpark that couldn't have been more perfectly built for his game. But very rarely do we have these guys who have really good resumes and then come to Coors Field. Ian Desmond had a decent resume and came to Coors Field and was not good, right? So we, we've got that data set. Larry Walker had been very, very good for the Expos and then comes to Colorado, continues to be very good. Then he goes to St. Louis, was very good. It may have just been the case that Larry Walker was just very good. <laughs> in fact, in fact, I'm certain that it was the case. And so that's a little bit difficult too, because an out, you know, a data set when a guy's that good, it, it it doesn't really help you figure out because the answer to what do we do about the hangover effect can't be we'll make everybody be like Larry Walker. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay, cool, good, good, good plan. Of course, you'd love to do that, but not everyone is a Hall of Famer. Most guys aren't. Uh, and, and as you all know, he should have been in years ago. So with Chris Bryant, we have this player who not only has fantastic offensive numbers throughout his career, and that's where you get into like OPS plus and WRC plus, and his is 132, right? So here's the, here's the fascinating thing. Because his baseline numbers, you know, your traditional batting average on base and slugging, have typically been very close to Nolan Arenado's, but Nolan would get doxxed for being at Coors Field, and then he would also have to deal with the fact that his numbers suffered on the road, right? Bryant has always been, always been a very consistent hitter home and away. And he's only ever played Chicago and then half a season in San Francisco. So he's had that more controlled environment, right? But if he becomes one of these guys who, and, and I could see him doing the Troy Tulowitzki thing. Here's my Chris Bryant prediction for you for the season, for this particular conversation even, is that he's going to, at Coors, hit like 350, 360. I'm not even joking. He's going to slug like 600 at Coors Field. He's going to put up monster numbers at Coors. But his road numbers are going to be good. Again, this was the old Troy Tulowitzki thing where his road numbers, he did like 270, still beyond basing in the mid, even like high threes and still slugging around 500. But it looked way worse than his home numbers. People were like, wow, look at the splits. He's got a 100-point batting average difference, home and road. And you're like, yeah, but he's still hitting 270 on the road, man. <laughs> like, he's still, like, that's ridiculous for a Rockies hitter, right? So I think Brian has the chance to be one of those guys who he's not going to hit as well. He's going to have splits for the first time in his career. And it's only going to further prove what most of us have known for a while and what you probably have, have known for a while. But I hope I've I hope I've deepened the understanding here a little bit. And it hasn't all been repeating. But this is going to be fascinating, right? Because if he has splits. But still reaches his like 132 career OPS plus and like legitimately like that's where it is even count uh, accounting for Coors Field right because he just puts up such monster numbers um that'll be really interesting and I think that's going to open some people's eyes because no one's going to be able to say 
oh, well, Chris Bryant, he's a course Field creation. That would be absurd, right? Even more absurd. We know it's absurd when they said it about Nolan. We know it's absurd when they said it about Trevor and all the guys in the 90s. Coors Field does not make you into a great hitter. It can make a good hitter look a little bit more like a great hitter, but it can't take an okay guy and turn him into a Hall of Famer or even close, right? But Bryant's credentials speak for themselves. His resume speaks for itself. And so if he does this thing next year where he's hitting extraordinarily well, I'm very curious, to, but, but has the splits. I'm, I'm very curious to see what the conversation will be like because I don't think they'll be able to reach into their old bag of tricks. As, as I said, most of the star Rockies players were homegrown guys and it's neat. It's, and I love that they've done that over the years. And I actually really do appreciate that, you know, but this Bryant dynamic really does change a lot of things. And for the national conversation, it's going to have to force them to have a more honest conversation. And what will be really frustrating is like, then he'll be, he'll like actually win MVP or win some real awards. Right. And people will be like, well, we know he's good because he hasn't always been one of them. Like that's how it's going to feel right <laughs> in certain corners. But I do think overall it'll be a really nice piece of evidence and another great data set for somebody like me to, to grab onto and say, see, here is even further evidence that yes, the thing exists. Yes, it impacts everybody. We have to stop calling it the hangover effect. Um, but if it's just the Coors effect, it has to encompass everything and how it impacts them on the road. And I wasn't even really able to get super deep into the pitching thing. I talked about hitting on the road, but the pitchers have a whole dynamic they have to go through as well. It was Chad Bettis who said it to me the absolute best. Here's the best line I've ever had from any of these guys to encapsulate the entire thing for me. Chad Bettis said, baseball is a game of adjustments. And we have to be the absolute best team in the world at adjustments or we'll just lose. And it, and it really comes down to that, right? It's not that it can't be done and some teams have managed to do it or some teams have managed to weather it. Uh, it's not an excuse for why the Rockies have not been good over the years. There are lots of things that can be done about this. There's definitely needs to be more research, uh, more of an, an earnest attempt to go after and solve it for far too long uh, during the Dan O'Dowd, Bill Guyvette years. There was a theory of if you just ignore it, it will go away. That that didn't work. That, that, I, I don't think that was wise at all. But ultimately, this is the problem that most impacts the team most often. And they need to do a better job of addressing it from a roster standpoint, but also from a coaching and a philosophical standpoint, from how they approach the games, from what they do and, and who they acquire. All of it needs to be in understanding that they've got to do things differently, basically in accordance with this issue, right? And so, yes, there are a lot of moving pieces, uh, I know it's it's always kind of a weird, it can feel a little bit impenetrable at times because ultimately none of us stand in the batter's box and know what it's like to try to hit a 96 mile an hour cutter, you know, or a 92 mile an hour slider, 99 mile an hour fastball with six inches of tilt and sink to it. You know, there's, 
these are it's it's very difficult to fathom the small little details at work here uh, but i think there has been over the last several years uh, an unfortunate movement in the rocky space to try to undercut this conversation by claiming that people who talk about it all the time are trying to make excuses for the ball club. And it's really, the word excuse has nothing to do with anything here. This is about uh, reasons for why things happen and making sure that you're addressing them. Uh, you, you cannot ignore one of your most important issues. And for far too long, they have. And I've been really happy to see more and more national writers. I've read three or four articles in the last week or so where, and it's funny because I feel like these talking points are basically 10 years old, but I don't want to be mean to people because they're finally coming around. So you can't be like, oh, good for you. Finally, you know, that's not nice. Don't let, Let's not do that. We want to welcome people into the understanding. But it's like, yes, people are at the very least asking the right questions now. And this Chris Bryant thing is really going to get people's attention, which is frustrating, but a good thing because the conversation needs to move forward. And I think the more smart people we get talking about it, the better we have a chance of figuring out some solutions to it. And even things like why Rockies players haven't gotten awards over the years. Matt Holliday not winning in 2007 because people just didn't know if they could trust his awards, uh, his, his numbers, I'm sorry. Um, Todd Helton, same thing. The fact that Nolan Arenado nor Charlie Blackman ever won an MVP award during any of that run, despite the ridiculous numbers they were putting up, because people look in and go, I don't know, Coors. But they don't, at best, these people maybe know 50, 60% of the relevant information when it comes to hashtag Coors, right? So... You know, and, and I know, and I think I made this point recently. I, I've heard a lot of people say, well, does it really matter if the guys win awards? Yes, yes, it does. Nobody wants to play on a team that they feel like they're not going to get credit for their hard work. Do, do you want to do anything that's hard work that you're just not going to get credit for? Doesn't that suck? Just as a person to like work really hard, accomplish something, accomplish something that even has like a number attached to it. Like, look at me. DJ LeMahieu won a batting title a batting title and people were like bs doesn't count it's ridiculous it's just coors but then dj lemayhew won another batting title somewhere else so as it turned out he was always a good hitter he just wasn't given credit for it when he was here Gee, I wonder why he might have wanted to go play somewhere else. You know what I mean? These guys are humans too. And so, yeah, when you, do, when you win a batting title and the national conversation is what a joke, but then you go somewhere else and you win a batting title and the conversation is this guy might be in the MVP. He might be, this guy's one of the best of all time. Look at this guy go. He got a batting title in two different, yeah. Yeah, that feels a little better, doesn't it? No wonder he and his agent were ready to get him somewhere else. So, yes, for me, it is very important for a myriad of reasons on the field, off the field, uh, from a team 
perception standpoint, all of it, that this conversation continued to be had. Uh, people go and shout it from the rooftops, continue to supply people with the numbers. I'm sure I'll be writing about it too. So you'll have numbers at your fingertips. And we didn't even get into the ways that like things like OPS plus and WRC plus are undercutting the team by counting their home production against them when they're on the road. Like there's so many other avenues of this. But again, I wanted to make sure as we go into the season that anyone listening so that when I talk about this in the future, I can either reference you to this show uh, or, you know, we've, we've got a baseline here. So we all understand that when we talk about the Coors effect, it is something that happens across all 162 games, that it impacts the Rockies pitchers and hitters, and that it essentially makes it so that they play at an extraordinary disadvantage on the road. The one last thing I want to say that I didn't mention as a potential solution that actually has worked in the past, and that is to win all your games at home. Now, it didn't quite work last year, right? Um, that you, You've got to at least be okay, but... That's another thing that I do think that this offense built around power is really about, which is, well, if we play at a disadvantage on the road, how do we make sure we're playing at an advantage at home? And that is actually where I think Bill Schmidt and don't, don't pitchfork and torch me down for this one, but yes, even before him, Jeff Breidich a little bit. We're starting to get it. And, and I think last year's home record was indicative of that. The understanding that we have to dominate Coors Field because at best, going to be mediocre on the road. Well, they got halfway there. They dominated Coors, terrible on the road. Let's see what happens next. But I, I think that's the right way to at least cut the problem in half and say, if we can, if we can make sure we're playing at an advantage at Coors Field, then we can look into little ways that we can minimize the disadvantage on the road. You're never going to get rid of it, but minimize it. Let's see what the new analytics team and Bill Schmidt and Clint Hurdle and these guys can come up with. Excited to see the future, as I believe most of you out there are as well. I appreciate you listening in to this episode of 20th and Blake here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. Make sure you're following me on social media, at Drew Kreisman. You can always hit me up with questions for the show or just questions for Twitter. Uh, you can always, again, slide into my DMs, ask me about the Discord channel, and always, always, always appreciate your conversation around Colorado Rockies baseball. So just keep being absolutely awesome out there. You know that I will continue to be absolutely Drew Priestman in here. And until next time, I will see you at the ballpark.